Father, I pray for each of us this morning in this room that you would connect deeply with our hearts, Father. I I pray that you would wrestle with our hearts this morning, God. God, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we are made fully aware of our sin and then completely distracted from it by the beauty of you and your grace, God. Lord, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for these moments. I thank you for your scripture. God, be with us now. Guide us now as we seek to dive into your scripture. And we, we, we pray that, that it is a sword that pierces us into our souls, Father. And, and we would be exposed as sinners, Father. And you would be exposed as a great and majestic, majestic Father. A God who loves us and gives us and offers us beautiful perfect grace, Father. Guide us this morning. Keep us free from distraction. Bind the enemy from this place this morning. May my words be clear. May they be your words. I thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. I love, I love that song, and, and I love times when, uh, when you're singing and you just kind of get overwhelmed by a, a statement that's in a song. Um, I don't know what, one of the verses in that song is, you wrestle with the sinner's heart. And uh, as I've been walking through this message, and we're in Galatians 2 this morning, uh, starting in verse 11, so if you, if you have your Bible, turn there. Um, but as I've, I've studied through and, and thought through and kind of meditated on these, the Galatians 2, 11 through 22 or 25, I don't remember, uh, th- this, the thing that, that is penetrating my heart is that God has been wrestling with my heart this week, and, and I hope that God wrestles with your heart this morning, and, and I, um, a couple of weeks ago, my wife told me after, I said, one of the things that we always do when I, when, on the way home is, you know, tell me what, what you thought of the message, and she's like, you yell a lot, you've been yelling a lot lately, um, get ready, because I'm going to yell a lot today, um, because we're uh, we're sinners and we're gross and we're nasty and every single one of us in this room needs to have our heart wrestled with this morning. Um, and I hope that uh, Galatians 2 does that uh, and not in particular just, just me. Um, so starting in, in verse 11 of, of chapter 2, uh, it says... Well, let me, let me give a little background again. Uh, Paul has written this book of Galatians to a region, a group of churches, uh, about six churches within, in six different cities within a region called Galatian. He's written this book to them because he's gone and preached in established churches and then people have come and said, you know, grace is great, faith is great, but you also need to follow this list of rules to be a Christian. Okay, and we're going to see religious people today. We're going to see religious people from the church. Um, and, and I want us to say these aren't the religious people that we see today are not the Pharisees that killed Christ that we can so easily throw stones at. These are people like you and I. These are members of the Jerusalem church led by James. The guy that wrote the book of James was the original pastor in the city of Jerusalem. And it was this massive, meg, the first ever mega church. And James was the pastor. And so it's, it's not some whack job 
religious nut that comes in. These are, these are legitimate people who have a lot of really good things to say and have messed up here. And Paul stands up and contends for the gospel. That's the, the, the big grand picture of the story we're gonna, of, of the book of Galatians. But in particular here, Paul is, is contending and fighting for the gospel and rooting out idols in the leaders of the church. And Peter is the main guy that, that Paul slaps around. Okay, so if you get slapped around today, like I've been slapped around this week, understand that this is Paul slapping around Peter, the one who Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon you. You're going to be the guy that I'm going to start my church upon. And Paul is here slapping him around. So, basically, the, this is kind of broken up into two segments today. 11 through 14 is Paul writing about a story. Okay, this is an event that happened one time. I'm going to tell you the story so that I can make a point about the gospel. And the point about the gospel is what comes in from 15 through 21. So, verse 11, but when Cephas, which is Peter's pre-Christ name, so, but when Peter came to Antioch, and Antioch is Paul's home church. Remember we talked about that in the, the, the start the, of this series. So, Paul is in Antioch, in his home church, And Peter comes to Antioch, Paul's home church. And I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I want to say, a lot of times, for us, we have a a really hard time confronting people about their sin. And when we do confront them, we, we kind of confront them in a real soft and gentle way. But this is Paul confronting Peter about his sin in a... In the book of Galatians, in the Bible, Paul is using a word like condemned. Understand when when we are living in real community, it can be harsh and ugly and difficult. We'll talk about that as as we walk this morning, about what real community is and and how how vital it is to to our own success with our pursuit of God and and the success of the church in our pursuit of God. So, uh, if this is Peter that's in error here, we can, we can all be in error. So, Paul is challenging respected and connected leaders and using strong words like condemned. Verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Man, there's a lot in this verse. Before certain men came from James, that is, there's this church in Jerusalem, James is the pastor, and they hear of this stuff that's happening in Antioch where some, Paul is teaching these Gentile people, and a Gentile is just anybody who's not a Jew, and they haven't been circumcised, and they haven't been following the the laws of Moses and the the laws that the Jews think you have to, to follow to get to Christ. And so these people rise up, a bunch of leaders within the church in Jerusalem, and James sends them to go and confront Paul. So this is the church in Jerusalem, the church in the city, in the world, has an error coming to Paul to say, hey, what's going on here? And, and to Peter as well. And Peter is, look at the, the last part of that verse. He draws back. He separates himself. Imagine the, the hypocrisy that's there. Imagine how much that would make you so mad. You've got a friend. 
he's, he's, he's new to, to your, your circle and, and you're connecting with him and you're spending a lot of time with him. You're having lots of jokes, lots of laughs. You're, you know, you're hanging out in the, the back patio by the fire every, a couple of times a week and, you know, you're just really connecting deeply with this guy, right? And then when some other religious people come, he like separates, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to separate. How angry would that make you? And here's Paul confronting that and, and smoking Peter here because he is afraid of the circumcision party. And the circumcision party is a group of people that have come from James to say, hey, it's not just the, the gospel is great. And I, I want you to understand this. A lot of times the Pharisees will put priority number one in following rules. These people that are in the circumcision party and the Pharisees would, would throw stones at Christ. You're not the Messiah. You aren't the Son of God. You aren't the things that you say are. You're not a deity. You are not God. You are not Jesus. We would have major theological issues with the Pharisees. These people in the circumcision party believe that Christ is the Son of God, believe that he, he was God, believe that he lived a perfect life, believe that he was executed wrongly, believe that he rose again from the dead. All of those things that we believe about Christ the circumcision party believes about Christ. But the problem is, and the, the thing that, that draws Paul's ire and angst and wants to make him yell at him is that they're saying, that's not the only thing. You also have to follow this list of rules. Foremost of which you have to be circumcised. And Peter, by separating himself from the Gentiles and connecting with the circumcision party and being afraid of them, is saying, you know what? You're right. They're wrong. And that's what Paul gets in his face and slaps him around, calls, says that you're condemned, and in a second calls him a hypocrite. Uh, that's, that's what he's, he's bringing here. But I, I want to ask us this question, and whenever I look into Scripture, the, the person who is being attacked for the sin that's in their life, I want to connect with them. I want to see, okay, what is it about me that's similar to what's going on in their life? And so I want to ask us each a question. And uh, if you've if you got a pen and a paper, I want you to write this down because I want you to, to think through, to, to, to think deeply on this question, not just this morning, but this week. What are you afraid of and what makes you shrink from the gospel? Paul, or Peter, here in this instance, is afraid of the circumcision party and as a, a result of his fear, he shrinks from the gospel. And, and I want us to, to connect our lives and our hearts with that moment, with that question, with that understanding and thought. Peter shrinks from the gospel because of his sphere of people, which is just absurd. To be afraid of, of somebody's thought of us and as a result turn our back on the gospel, that's ridiculous for us to see and look at from this perspective. But I guarantee you there's something about your life that you're afraid of somebody about that's making you shrink from the gospel. If you can't find it, think harder. If you can't find it, ask your best friend. And they'll tell you. There's something in your life that is making you shrink from the gospel because you're afraid of what somebody's going to think about you. And this is Peter here, and this is Paul smoking. These, I, I've said it before but already this morning, but I want to say it again to, to raise these two guys up. These are the two guys in the early church, Peter and Paul. And this is Paul smoking Peter, just slapping him upside the head. And, and it's not just some guy. This is Peter getting slapped around because he is afraid of people, and that's making him shrink from the gospel. So 
genuinely do work in your own soul, in your own heart, asking yourself this question. And that may mean you've got to ask your wife or your husband or your best friend. What is it about me? How am I abandoning, turning my back on the gospel because I'm afraid of somebody? And this gets to, down to, idols. Peter has a respect and a validation and an acceptance idol. He's got to be respected and admired and accepted by these people, by this circumcision party. Um, fire that, that image, that idol image up there. When we think of idol, a lot of times that's what we think of. Some golden statue, right? And it's a physical, tangible thing that people physically and tangibly bow down to and do this or pray to or whatever. That's what, what we consider to be an idol. But idols are so much more than that. We have idols of acceptance. We have idols of, of uh, respect and worth and value. We want people to, to value us, to honor us, to accept us. And as a result, those, that idol predicts and informs our actions. Every one of us have an idol, and it's probably more familiar to the people that you're really close to, your spouse or your best friend or your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. Your idols are probably more familiar to them than they are to you. And that's why community is so valuable, because we have to root out these idols uh, that, that we have inside of us. And that's what's happening here in these first couple of verses. Paul is telling a story. He's going to talk about the gospel in a second, and he's telling this story to support his gospel presentation, and ultimately, it's rooted in community. If Peter and Paul didn't have this real community, this never happens, and Peter continues removing himself from the Gentiles, and the gospel suffers. Uh, when I, there was a Right after Jen and I got married, we went on a, on a vacation with uh, Jeff and Sarah I. Some of you guys know, know that couple. Um, we went to Galveston, Texas uh, over the 4th of July on a little vacation. There's a, there's a beach in Galveston. It's a really cool vacation. Uh, and one of the, the mornings, Jeff and I woke up like at 6 o'clock and, and went to go play golf. And we walk into the, the pro shop of the, the, the golf course, and there's like, you know, every pro shop's got golf shirts and tees and balls and whatever and clubs. You can buy whatever. This golf shop has off, like cans of off. I'm like, that is really weird. It doesn't make, why would, I, can, I, I might need some golf balls or some tees, but there's off. So, and it's like eight bucks a can for a little can. I'm like, I'm not, what, why would, that doesn't make any sense. I get in the golf car, driving to the first tee, and I realize why there was off there. There was a mosquito infestation in their cart garage. And what and an infestation, I mean every single one of their carts had a nest of mosquitoes that were under it. And you know, we're thinking it's not that big a deal. We'll we'll drive and the, the wind will blow it away and if it gets bad we can just knock the nest off. It was seriously when we got done playing from my knees down, there was what, Jen? 50, 60 mosquito bites from the knees down on, on both legs. It was ridiculous. We're like driving in this, uh, I, I've said this before, like the Charlie Brown stuff, you know, the, the pig pen guy who's always got the cloud of dirt around him. For me, it was, it was the deal, but it was a cloud of like mosquitoes following our cart around. It was 
Oh man, it was awful. And by, it, it, just at the beginning, we're like, it's just going to be there for a little bit, and then it, it winds up, it's there like all 18 holes. And it's just, I mean, it was miserable. At the, at the turn, you know, we go back to the, to the pro shop, we bought that, we each bought our own $8 can of off. And like, what's going on? What happened? And he's explaining to us that they can't get rid of these mosquitoes. They've, they've tried, they've set off, you know, like mosquito bombs in the garage and all these things. But what's happened is these mosquitoes have nested in so many different places inside of this garage that nothing they can do can rid themselves. And they're saying, we just have to wait till winter so that winter can come and, you know, destroy all these mosquitoes because we can't do it. We've tried everything we know to do. And I, I tell that story because this is the idea of idols. We can, we can work in ourselves. We can try on ourselves to get rid of these idols. But ultimately, there is, idols are like infestations in our heart. And just like these mosquitoes, were in all, they're nesting in all kinds of different places. You can kill one nest, but you're not going to kill them all. You can, where you have an acceptance idol, you can destroy how this acceptance idol is, is raising itself up in this area of your life, but it's going to pop up again. You can destroy how insecurity is, is playing itself up in one area of your life, but it's going to come up again. And this is the, the, the heart of, of what Paul is getting to, is that there's an, an infestation of this acceptance idol in the, the life of, of Peter. Go back with me to verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. For those of you who don't know, Barnabas is the guy that's traveling with Paul. He's like, Dave and I are, are co-pastors of this church. Barnabas and Paul are, are rooted in that same way together. All right? So imagine one of us being torn, torn away by the, the idol worship of another. That's what's happening here. When, when Barnabas is led astray, that's what's happening. The, the, the two guys that are, that are boys together leading, directing this portion of the church, one is being led astray by the hypocrisy. So idols are like this sort of infestation, nesting and spreading and affecting people that you don't even understand that they affect. Like Jeff and I, completely oblivious, walk in and get in this golf cart and, and drive away, and we are... In cap, we are captured by this infestation of mosquitoes. We walk just like we can easily walk into an idol of somebody else and it affect and impact us. All right? And remember, this is Peter and men worthy of respect and trust and admiration that are, that are here. Don't just lob stones at them. Verse 14. Paul writing, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all. I'm going to stop for a second. They're in a church. Cephas is the understood leader of the, of the world when it comes to church. They, Christ has, has ordained Peter to, to, to build the church. And now here's Paul in front of a particular church in Antioch and just smokes him. And this is what's fascinating about Paul is, is we, we want to have these, we're, we're fearful of other people's feelings when there's an idol in their life. We're, we're fearful of, of how they will respond to us. If, if I pick on your idol too much, 
I'm afraid of, of how that's going to damage our relationship. I'm afraid that that's going to damage our relationship. Fear making us shrink from the gospel. But Paul is not afraid. Listen to what he says. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Basically, in front of the circumcision party and the church in Antioch, he says, wait a second, you were just hanging out with us yesterday and now these people come? You're an idiot. Idle confrontation in a very public way. Don't shrink from what God is calling you to do for, for the sake of some idol, for the sake of some fear. It's massively important for us to come to grips with this and understand that community is a tool that God has given us to root out idols in our lives. I'm going to say that again. Community is a tool that God has given us to root out idols in our life. When we shrink from that, we fail ourselves, we fail God, and we fail each other. Community is a tool. Look at Paul being bold, following the will of the Lord to speak truth into this really important guy's life and root idols out of his heart. Because when idols dig themselves deeply into our hearts, there's, here's, here are the effects. Individuals suffer. When you have an idol in your life, an indiv- you suffer as a person. Just like, just like Peter here. Peter is suffering. He is not engaged fully with the gospel, and as a result, not engaged fully with God because of this idol in his life. Individuals suffer when idols are allowed to reign. Mission suffers. Look at our story. Barnabas, the guy who was on mission with Paul, speaking the truth to all these churches, is now being led astray. Peter is now being led astray. The leaders in the church with James are being led astray. All these people are being led astray. Mission suffers. The church suffers. I, I, I want to say this. When, when idols are allowed to stay in our hearts and in our lives, or when we shrink from pointing them out in each other's lives, you suffer, we suffer, and our mission suffers. Why are we even here? If we're going to allow these things to reign and rule who we are and what we do, why are we here? Because we are suffering, our church is suffering, and our mission is suffering. Period. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear rule your life. Don't let your need to be accepted and have this, this friend completely love you paint that picture. And here's the other thing. I think most of us who are engaged in community are cool and fine and excited about when somebody spots an idol in our life and cares deeply about us enough to say, this is in your life, you need to take it away. Let's work together to take this thing away. And there are idols everywhere. So, and also the the gospel is tainted. So, here's some, some tools for us to use to root these out. First, Never let there be a time when community is not a part of your life. There are two guys that I've discipled a lot in recent years, and they happen to have moved away to college, and both of them had really, really big events that have happened in their life in the last year, and I just found out about them in the last two weeks. And I said, you know what, I don't expect you to have community with, with, with me your whole life, especially when you're away at school. 
But who, who are you living life with? Who's looking in your life? Where's the community in your life? Oh, uh, I, I didn't really work through the situation with, with anybody. Never, ever let there be a time in your life where there's not community looking into your life. Idols are going to take a root. You're going to make poor decisions. You're going to choose self. Never, ever let there be a time where community is not a part of your life. It's vital. Even if you know, you're connected to this place, great. You're not, it's going to be really hard for you to walk around this place very long and not have community in your life. But maybe God calls you away to someplace else. Never, ever let there be a time where there's not somebody looking into your life. These are tools that God has given us to root out idols. We've seen what happens when idols are in our life, and this is a tool to, to allow them to, to be knocked out. Second, give and get permission. Give and get permission to be rooting out idols. Explicit. Hey, Eric, will you look into my life and, and call out idols? Hey, Eric, can I look into your life and call out idols in your life? Give and get permission. And third, understand that you have idols. I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again now. You have idols in your life. Period. Some of them you know about, some of them you don't know about. This is a tool for us to use to root out idols, to understand that you have idols, to give and get permission from people, and never let there be a time where community is not an an important part of your life. So that's the story that Paul is told. Move to verse, verse 16. Paul transitions from, he tells this story so that he can reinforce the gospel. And this is where he goes here. And he is ultra repetitive. He's already said everything that he's going to say from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. He's already said before, and he's going to say it again, which tells me, pay attention, say the stuff to yourself all the stinking time. Verse 16. Watch. He says the same thing three times in this one verse. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Time number one, he says, not by works, but by faith. Comma, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Second thing, he said it again. Comma, here comes a third time. Because works of the law, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Is anyone confused on what brings justification? Is it law or is it faith? It's faith. Faith is where trust meets surrender. I talked about it last week. Uh, It's not just believing really hard in something. It's surrendering all that you are. You have my life. You can kill me if you want. Because I trust the fact that you have my best interest not only in mind, but you're able to, to, to make it happen. Here's the thing. You can place your trust in something ridiculous that's not going to be worthy of trust. But faith is, I trust that you have my best interest in mind, and I trust that you're able to come through with that. That's faith that brings us to this place. I want to say that following rules is man-focused, Faith is Jesus-focused. Ask yourself this question a lot. Are my actions, are my thoughts, is my community, is my church, is my 
idle thought time, self-focused or Christ-focused? You can expose a lot of idols when you, when you walk through and think through that question. Law, rules, are you focused? Hey, look what I did. I did a really, really good job today of following God's commands in my life. That puts the, the direction, the glory on you and will wind up in failure. Faith is Christ-focused. Do you see the, the, the point of faith is, is trust and surrender, which means I can't, only you can. And that's totally, completely focused on God. And that places us in a position of being completely infatuated and completely in content with God, with life. I've, I've been, I blogged about it this week, and, and I can't get past one simple phrase. The last verse of Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. I can't get past that. I, I long to be naked and unashamed before God, because what that means is I'm so completely unaware of who I am and, and what I look like and the things that I have to offer. I, I'm, I'm completely unaware that I'm naked. Because I'm so engaged with the beauty and majesty and perfection of God. That's heaven. That's the kingdom of God where we are so completely clueless about self. Because we have engaged and encountered the most beautiful thing ever. If I was standing before you naked today, you would all notice. If I was standing before you naked today, but there was something over there that was so unbelievably engaging, you would not notice the fact that I was naked. That's where we're trying to get. That's the point of the gospel. So we will forget about everybody else and forget about self and forget about all, those, all the inadequacies of, of this planet and be only engaged by the purity and perfection of a holy and perfect God. That's heaven. That's Genesis 2. That's perfection. That's the kingdom of God. That's where we're working towards. That's the point of Christ's coming. The point of Christ's coming is not anything other than to get you back to the place where you were naked and unashamed. I'm begging for God to, to bring us to this place. Back to our story, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Paul goes back to the story this is kind of a confusing verse, but ultimately what, what Paul is saying here is that these religious people, these James and the, the people from the church in, in Jerusalem and Peter are saying that, that if, if you connect with sinners, you are a sinner. No, that's not how it works. Because Christ came to this earth to connect with sinners. And that would make Christ a sinner, which is obviously ridiculous. Verse 18. He expounds upon his point in verse 17. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove to be a transgressor myself. Christ came to tear down the law so that we can have relationship with God. So if Christ came to tear the law down, why would Christ or anybody else build it back up? Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. See the, the God-centeredness and the man-centeredness. Look for God-centric words and man-centric words. And I'm going to read verse 19 again. 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Again, the point of the gospel, the point of, of all these things, to get focus off of self and focus on to God. Then, verse 20. Verse 20 is beautiful. Worthy of memorization. Worthy of meditation. Worthy of you stop listening to what I have to say, perhaps, and just wrestle with the, each perfect word. For I have been crucified with Christ. I... You have been crucified with Christ. Crucified. Long, slow, painful, wicked death. You have a long, slow, wicked, painful death. The point of all of this is the less of self, more of God. This is a crucifixion. We are being crucified. I don't want myself to reign in any way. And I need you to help me with that. And you need me to help you with that. Community. Rooting out idols. Crucifying. Driving nails into my arms. Driving nails into my feet. Making me have a really, really difficult time to fight through and stay alive. But we are crucified with Christ. Man, this is just... Gorgeous and deep in beauty. It is no longer I that live. Because I who lives is this infestation of idols who destroys the gospel. And, and doesn't engage people in it. And acts like Peter and shrinking in fear from people. I'm afraid of what you're going to think to me so I'm not going to point idols out in your life. That is me living, not Christ living. That is me not being crucified to self. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith, trusting and surrendering. God, you have the best for me and I give you my life and I willingly die in the Son of God because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what's happening here? When, we, when we're crucified to ourselves, all our preferences, all our feelings, all our, <laughs> you hurt my, it's gone. Leave it alone. It doesn't matter. Crucify yourself. Because at the end of that rainbow, at the end of that day, at the end of you being crucified, is you naked and unashamed before God experiencing why you were created to, what you were created to experience in the first place. It's gorgeous and worthy of worship and worthy of everything that you have to run hard after it. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. When we live for ourselves, we are nullifying the grace of God. When we try to make justification the point, or, or, when we try to make the law our justification, we nullify the grace of God and we make Christ might as well not even have died, which is absurd. I want to close with one quote that I read this week from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, you can check it out. Thegospelcoalition.org. It's Awesome. Lots of stuff you can read, deep gospel-centered stuff. But in it this week, this was, they have a, a Twitter account. This is a tweet they, they did this week. The gospel doesn't just make you right with God. It frees you to delight in him.
the gospel doesn't make you, doesn't just make you right with God. It frees you to delight in him. All of these things, all this stuff I've been yelling about this morning is about your joy and your happiness and your delight. Do you know that God created you to love him and, and, and have this, this intense feeling of contentment all the time? The gospel is so that you can have that all the time. You can be completely engaged with who he is and forget about inadequacies of self. Naked and unashamed, perfectly unaware of self. I'm going to pray and stop screaming at you. God, I thank you this morning for the beauty of your gospel. God, I pray this morning that you would attack our hearts, God. The gospel is at stake. God, the gospel is at stake. Attack our hearts with that beautiful knowledge. And God, would we treasure the gospel more than we treasure acceptance, more than we treasure respect. God, I pray that you would develop real community, and not just community where we enjoy being together, Father, but real community where we root idols and sin out of our lives and we're engaged with others doing the same in theirs. And God, would that cause us to lay down Filthy preference. If, if preference is an enemy to community and relationship, then God, may we crucify it. And God, I, I pray you've shown me in my heart I'm really good at, at, at speaking this to people and really bad at speaking it to my heart. God, I, I pray now in these moments that you would convict me of that. God, engage us now with worship. Engage us with this truth that you've proclaimed to our hearts. And Father, may we be changed as a result because we want to be naked and unashamed before you perfectly unaware of self. God, we trust you and we surrender to you. I thank you for Jesus in his unbelievably perfect name that I pray. Amen.